On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Emily Temple. So we should say right off the bat that we were fortunate enough to get Emily Temple well before George Floyd's murder and any of the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. had been going on. So it it will feel like an absence that we don't discuss it in this episode. And we want to say right off the bat, it's because it was recorded well before any of that happened. Exactly. So she was, when we spoke to her, just promoting her book in the middle of a quarantine, which we do talk about, but not in the context of the more recent events. Absolutely. That's right, Kate. It was pandemic (sighs) discussion, but no Black Lives Matter. So that was the timing of our recording, not a reflection of her opinions, our opinions, anyone's thoughts about uh, what has transpired since then. Right. So... But with that groundwork, it was a great interview. This was the first debut author that we've had on the podcast. And I think, and since we had done it so far in advance of her publication date, you could tell she was kind of like, what is going on? Someone actually wants to talk to me about this little thing I've been toiling away on for years, right? Yeah, well, I, and it makes so much sense. Like when we, she talked about how long she's been working on this novel, years and years, like six years, and how it's so surreal for her to finally like interact with people who have read it. And even at that time, you're right, it, it, it still wasn't even out. So she's only having minor interactions, but it just must yeah. be so strange. Like it is, like she said, her baby for so long. And now to introduce it to the world is, is got to right. be exciting, but strange. Yeah, but strange. And we were like, well, tell us this about Olivia. Tell us this. And she was like, huh? Yeah. Okay. It's so different. And I know this just, we bo- both do it. It's the process of writing is so isolated. And even when we've looked back on things we've written together and we're like, why did we do that? I'm like, I don't remember. We just <laughs> did. It was just like in the moment, this is where the story was going. And to have someone, it, it's hard being on the other side of it, but she did invite a lot of really big questions with this book. Yeah. And she was so thoughtful about it. And then you mentioned Olivia, because of course we talked about her female protagonist and she said Olivia was even a a character in a short story before she wrote the novel which means she's been living with her it's almost like she was like hmm it's like Olivia it's like Olivia's like part of her um that was surreal that was really a kind of a treat to see yeah but she what she was so smart and so introspective and so thoughtful And I love what she said about writing about teenage girls and why she wanted to do that in in this novel. And she she said, because it's when you feel things like most fiercely, you know, when you Mm. have such a sense of wanting at that age. And and you talked about like the intrinsic desire teenagers have of coming into the world, but also pushing up against it. Right. Those boundaries of parents and society and expectations that you are so fully coming into your own but then all of a sudden it's like okay everyone's looking at me now and what does that mean and how do I negotiate that yeah I mean those are really interesting questions and it's almost like every teenager has to it's just it's it's exactly how I felt about new motherhood I was like what is this and why did no one tell me because it's so personal and it's so particular where you come up where like the parents you have the peers you have the teachers you have it's so individual but that journey of discovering yourself and wanting to put it all out there into the world and what messages we've internalized and what we're going to get as feedback that's all so particular yeah yeah it was so good we talked about 
expectations on women in in society Mm -hmm. how we're supposed to act and what happens when we don't always act in the way particularly other women think we should act I thought that was a really interesting conversation yes mother-daughter relationships I know (laughs) you and I love to talk about Uh, mommy issues yes (laughs) taking our cue from Lisa Tadeo and just asking everyone I mean this is becoming another one of our signature questions along with astrology but there is particular mother-daughter conflict in this book even though Olivia is really going to find her father and a lot of what she's doing is driven by her father there's a moment of conflict well not just a one moment but one particular moment of conflict that I could not let her go without asking about and we we talked about it and it, it was a great part of the conversation yeah I loved that part astrology of course we talked about astrology she said that she writes a monthly column for lit hub with book recommendations based on your astrological signs so she's she was game for our question and i want to go look that up by the way especially for you i feel like she really shed a light on your rising (laughs) sign she did i learned about a little more about my rising sign in libra so that was fun for me and i also thought her choices for you know, complicated women that inspire her was one of the best answers we've gotten just because they were so unusual and came from fiction. Yes. And I thought they were very interesting answers and different. Yes. So yes. I thought that was a fun part yes. too. And shockingly, we get to talk about the law and her connections oh, yes. with lawyers. Yes. Kate, what is this? <laughs> I don't know. We... <laughs> we finally don't interview a lawyer and her parents are both lawyers yes we still get a link don't you worry and she has a few references a few really interesting references to the law and what she thinks of law school and lawyers ah speaking of school super impressed at her education yes but let's get into the interview and let let everyone listen to for themselves emily temple the lightness enjoy Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So for those of you who don't know yet, Emily Temple holds a BA from Middlebury College and an MFA in fiction from the University of Virginia. Her fiction has previously appeared in Colorado Review, Electric Literature's Recommended Reading, The Indiana Review, Fairytale Review, and elsewhere. She is also the managing editor at Literary Hub, and I love this from your website, lives primarily in a queen-size bed in Brooklyn. Yes, it's true. (laughs) So you are our first debut author that we've had on this podcast. How are you feeling right now? It's super weird. Yeah. I'm really excited. Obviously, it's not what I had expected because of the pandemic. Right. So it's a lot harder in general, but on the plus side, Book sales are looking up because people, some people at least, have extra time and everybody is at home. But I'm I'm excited. It's I've been working on this novel for almost I started it six years ago. And so just starting to interact with people who have actually read it is pretty incredible and weird. Yeah, Yeah. it's been my baby for so long. Right. And now you've had to usher it out into the world. Yeah. And we have so much we want to discuss with you today. But first, of course, tell us about your novel, The Lightness. Okay. So brief overview. The Lightness is set at a meditation center in the mountains, sort of a pan-spiritual meditation center. And the legend about this center is that it's the last place on earth where you people can levitate. And so our protagonist, Olivia, whose father disappeared about a year ago, she follows him to the levitation center, which is the last place that she knows that he went. And when she's there, she falls in with this group of girls who are absolutely obsessed with the idea that they too are going to be able to levitate. So they try that and things don't go that well for them, but they have some trials. <laughs> And we love the way you describe Olivia as she arrives for the summer. You wrote, she was a fearful girl, but insatiable too, possessed of a fundamental savagery. 
those are such strong and powerful adjectives. Uh, adjectives, fearful, insatiable, savage. Aside from that, uh, these are also not qualities we see described often in one person. I mean, complicated might be an understatement. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about Olivia and why you needed to write her, because the story is about a group of girls, as you said, but it's very clearly Olivia's perspective. Olivia, it's funny, she grew out of a short story that I wrote and so she's been with me for so long that a short story that I wrote even before I started the novel. So she's been with me for so long that it's interesting to even think about her in that way. But yes, uh, I, I wanted to write someone who was both an observer and, and involved. I, I feel like in so many stories, the characters are either the central character or they are observing and their things are just happening around them and they're sort of like narrating from a distance. And I guess I got in, I got into her by saying, well, what do you do when you are both a part of the world that you have just come into and not? So she mm -hmm. does have all these connections to the world that she's entering. She has her father, she's recognizing these elements around her, but she's also a total outsider. And as far as, her being both fearful and insatiable, you know, that's how I felt at 16. Yeah. I felt mm -hmm. both terrified of the world and desperate to be in it and desperate yeah. to find as much sensation and as much magic as I possibly could. And I was, you know, and I was totally afraid at the same mm -hmm. time. So I was just in this space where I had to, Try it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to put it. We feel that way. We talk about that a lot on the podcast, how people are often two things at the same time, but they work so hard to reconcile them so that they only come out with one, whichever one they deem is best. And I love that you really let that sit. I think that might be easier for other people to handle in teenage girls, maybe, or it might just be that's when they're feeling it the most. I think it's probably both. I mean, I think teenage girls, yeah, we do expect a little bit of disturbance from them in terms of their psyche and the way that they present themselves. But it is, I mean, the reason that I wanted to write about teenage girls is because that's, at least in my experience, that's when you start to feel everything the most fiercely. And yeah. whatever you do with those feelings, that then reverberates for the rest of your life. Yeah. I completely agree. And that brings me to the collective girls at the center. So I'm going to read a little bit from pages nine and 10, and that should be read in its full glory, but I'm going to pull some lines and paraphrase so I don't read the entire book because I <laughs> absolutely would. So we, so we can go beyond that. The girls at the center were slick Finnish girls, cat eye girls, hot blood girls. They were girls who reveled. They were girls who liked boys and back seats, who slid things that weren't theirs into their tight pockets. There were girls who left marks. There were girls who snuck, making plans instead of wishes. There were girls who were bored, so bored. Or there were girls who were the opposite. They were so full up of feelings that they couldn't simply do their times table or learn their French conjugations. They were too full up for that. I, I cannot tell you reading that was like some sort of transcendent experience for me. <laughs> like everything in my life suddenly made sense. But at the end of the passage, you say that Olivia isn't one of those girls, at least not yet. So I guess my question to you was, do you believe every girl is like this? She has this quality of the collective, the way you're describing it here, and maybe they don't know how to activate it, or they, as I said before, they have to feel like they have to reconcile it, or maybe not activate it because it's not acceptable. So I don't know. I just wanted to talk about whether you believe this is some girls or this is a little bit in everyone. Oh, I do think it's a little bit in everyone. It's hard to say because I only have my own experience, but I do think all girls are a little savage. How can you not be growing up in this world? Yeah. And how can you not be with all of the, especially as a young girl, with all of the complicated and conflicting feelings and inputs that we get. Olivia doesn't think of herself as a bad girl at the right. beginning. Right. And she doesn't 
think of herself and 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 I think that not yet that speaks to her the fear part right that speaks to her you know she's been a good girl she has been doing what she was told and this foray out to follow her father is like the first well not quite the first as you find out but right it, yes. it's <laughs> yeah it's the first time that she is like no screw it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm going mm-hmm. But I do think, I mean, I don't know, maybe you, you guys can tell me whether you feel like y- you, were, you were that way too. I definitely did. I mean, and that's why I wanted to ask the question because I, I said reading it felt like so much made sense that it wasn't – because a lot of times I have felt it is just me. I'm just like this. But reading that, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, it cannot just be me if she can write it like this. And also – I, I, like I said, there was a lot more to those pages and I didn't read it all, but the, that described a lot of different type of girls. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is just something fundamental, I think. And people are uncomfortable with it. And so they they reconcile it, they hide it, they push it down, whatever they have to do. Um, so that's definitely my point of view. I agree. I feel like it's a sense of want. It's just the wanting. That's yeah. what creates it. And everybody has that wanting. And maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's you want more and maybe it's you want less and whatever, but whatever it is, it's this intrinsic desire of coming into the world. Yeah. And and also pushing up against it, right? Yeah, because exactly. you're trying to find yourself pushing against at that age, your parents rules, or even, you know, at any age against what society thinks is okay, what your community thinks is okay, whatever it is. Um, there's always that bumping up against something else. Yeah. So also on early, very early on, on page six, you recite a laundry list of what some people would call maybe unorthodox or woo-woo, touchy-feely practices like palm reading, crystal healing, and lucid dreaming. And then in the middle of these 20 or so disciplines, you sneak in the law, which (laughs) I love. Uh, And you conclude that this is the usual assortment of practices for people like these, people who are looking for something. But that's not the only reference to the law you have between these covers. In your acknowledgments, you thanked your early readers, quote, none of whom advised that I quit writing and go to law school, at least not to my face. Uh, with, With the bit of insight that Corinne read and this reference, we get the suspicion that you've thought about law school or being a lawyer. Um, Corinne and I are both lawyers. Uh, I still practice law. So we can't deny the truth of what you said here. So do you think that lawyers are people who are looking for something? And because you're going to turn it around, we obviously do think that's true. (laughs) Yes. So we're leading you here, but we want to know how you know it without having gone through it. This Uh, would be what we call a leading question. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see. Yes. Well... I was thinking, I was thinking, how did they pick up on this? Um, yeah. Yes, uh, both of my parents are lawyers. Oh, and there we go. Okay. Until my mother retired, they practiced at the law offices of Temple and Temple. Oh, no way. First, my grandfather and my dad, and then it was my mom and my dad. Oh, wow. So I do come from a family you know of this. lawyers. Yes. <laughs> And my parents are also seekers and they want to know more and they want to ask questions and they want to, you know, we would have, we, I grew up having these elaborate, good natured arguments over the dinner table, some mostly good natured. Um, (laughs) And so the way that I was brought up to think about the world is to ask questions and, and demand answers of it and interrogate everything. So yes, that <laughs> oh boy. Now this is going to be my daughter because that my my husband and I are both lawyers as well. I no longer practice, but I am still we're both lawyers but seekers. So mm-hmm. and that's going to be our dinner table for sure. Yes. And my hus- my husband's a lawyer. Yeah. I was my like, God. a lawyer too. So, yeah. And actually all four graduates of Fordham Law School. That's funny actually. Me, Corinne, yeah. my husband and her husband. I know. Wow. I know. A shallow pool, let me tell you. Well, you didn't go to law school, thank goodness for us. And yeah, instead, no. you got your MFA at UVA, which 
for those of you who don't know, is extremely competitive, not only because of the reputation of the school, but the fact that they fully fund your tuition and pay you to go there, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. yeah, that is a sweet deal. And only five people are admitted for fiction a year. Mm-hmm. What an honor. That's a huge congratulations to you. That's but even with that inroad in the writing world, your your road to publication was not without its bumps. Uh, in the acknowledgments, you mentioned your agent, quote, read an embarrassingly early draft of this book and asked very politely if you thought the novel was done or whether you'd be willing to work on it a little. So tell us about that, the highs and the lows <laughs> of this whole road to publication. Yeah. Um, well before before I went to grad school after I graduated from college I moved to New York and like everybody who goes to school in rural Vermont you instantly have to move to New York which is the opposite and I worked for a few years at a website which is called Flavor Wire and I was a literary editor there and I became obsessed with this writer, Amelia Gray, and it led to me having drinks with her editor because basically this woman emailed me and she said, you know, you have been writing about Amelia Gray constantly. I just want to have a drink with you because obviously (laughs) you have good taste. So I did that. And then I, so I, I had this like really nice idea in my mind about her and her agent. And so then I, Threw up my writing. I went to I went to grad school, and while I was there, Amelia Gray's agent came to visit. Oh, wow! And she, because she knew Amelia Gray's editor, who had had a drink with me, she was like, "Oh, I've heard that you're a nice person." <laughs> which mm-hmm. so I was, so this is only to say that I was very lucky in one way, which was that I had like a little a little door open mm-hmm. just from. That connection. Making connections with women yeah. who like good books, which yeah. is all I want to do. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so I gave her the beginning of what I was working on, which was my thesis. And in fact, I mean, just to continue to give more credit where credit's due, I was not going to write a novel for my thesis. Mm-hmm. I was going to just do a collection of short stories. And my advisor, who's also a novelist, Jane Allison, she just basically said, you're going to do a collection of short stories? Why? And I was like, well, you know, I have these short stories that I've been working on because MFA programs are really, they're really oriented towards short stories because of the workshop format. You, mm. you can only bring so much to a workshop. So she said, I think you should try to write a novel. And I said, well, I can try. And she, was, she basically said, you can try? Yeah. Do a little better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she pointed out, she said to me, you're never going to be able to write a first draft of a novel in a situation where you have someone to help you. Mm. That's never going to happen for you again. So you might as well take advantage of it. So I did. And in the process, so I sent the beginning to this agent that I had been, you know, stalking for some time. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> she she was like, oh, well, do you have the rest? Send it to me. I, I want to read the whole thing. And I did not have the rest. But then when I finally handed in my thesis, now my thesis was about 170 pages. It was, it was not finished <laughs> in retrospect, but it got mm-hmm. from the beginning to the end. And so I was right. like, okay, this is a book, right? right. This, right. this is a book. It seems like a book. <laughs> there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's another, there's some words. Yeah. Uh, I, I passed the MFA. So good for me. Uh, so I I sent it to this agent and she was very sweet and very polite. But yes, she basically said exactly that. She said, oh, just so do you think this is done or would you be willing to maybe consider some edits? And I was like, oh, please, please, please give me all the edits. Yeah. (laughs) And I worked on it with her for years before Mm -hmm. we before we went out with it to sell it. Some agents are very editorial in that way and they will work with you and to make it the best it can be before they want to send it out and other agents if they get a draft that they don't think is done they'll just pass so i was very lucky that claudia was willing to work willing to work on it and her i mean everybody thinks that people just write novels by themselves 
but it's really not true. I worked on it for years with my agent and then I worked on it with my editor and both of them were invaluable mm -hmm. in terms of their advice and suggestions. They both made the book better. Yeah. But there was a long time in there where I was just waiting for my agent to read the novel and just like, is this going to be the draft that we're going to try to sell? Right. And then she would write me back and be like, no, <laughs> you have to try again. And I was like, <laughs> so oh, how so. much of that thesis is, looks like the lightness? Almost none of it. Wow. It's the same basic story, but, but there's no page that made it from the beginning to the end, except for the scene with the black sand, mm. which actually exists in the original story that I wrote even before I started writing the novel set in this world. That's the only thing that really made it. I mean, someone else died in the, the first draft. There was a whole, like, there was a, a lot, a lot different. Wow. And how many years was that? So I started, I started writing it in 2014. I wrote, so I wrote the first story with Olivia in it in the spring of 2014. I started my first draft of the, what would be my thesis in that fall. And I defended it in the spring. I sent it to, for the first time to the agent the following spring. And then it was two years until before we went out with it, before we tried to sell it. That's Four years between starting it and selling it, and then another two years. <laughs> Coming from an MFA, did you have different expectations, or were you like, okay, this just takes a long time? If it's going to be good, it's going to take some time. Oh, I thought that I was going to be, you know, a magical wonder princess <laughs> who was just going to write it down in my spare time and then sell it for a million dollars. Totally. I feel like you yeah. have to believe that, though. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't keep going. <laughs> you absolutely do have to believe. I mean, I am now trying to work on a second novel and I'm mm. realizing it's a lot harder when you can see the road mm. ahead a little better. So mm. it was easy. It was a lot easier when I thought what I'm writing now, this is definitely going to be in the book. Yeah. And now that I see, I mean, just to your question, when I realized that there's almost nothing from the first draft that made it into the final book, now I'm trying to write a first draft of a new book. And I'm like, what's the point? What's the None point? Yeah, yeah. Make it. None of this will be in there. I need to make this <laughs> sentence good. Oh, boy. But you have to. Yeah, because it's part way. of the process. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's better not to know what you're getting yourself into. Better not to know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> So implicit in our tagline, we are pop fiction women, we're complicated, is the idea that the world has a hard time with complicated women. That's why we want to talk about them, unpack them. And they're not just one thing, right? You can be complicated in so many ways. But the rejection from the world comes from men, but it also comes from other women. And you give us a potential reason for that on page 47, where you say, girls love to be unlike other girls because of the lies we are told about what other girls are like. Can, can we talk about that? I, again, something I find to be true when we see a woman who's doing whatever she wants to be doing or, you know, doesn't carry around that society first, me way, way, way last other women are so uncomfortable with that. Like, what are you doing? This is not how we're, we've been taught to act. This is not what we're supposed to be doing. And that becomes a bigger issue than actually whatever the person is doing. It's generally not that big of a deal. It's just that we've been told this is not how a woman acts. This is not, and also another layer, this is not how a mother acts. This is not how a wife acts, whatever it is. And there are so many layers to that. I wonder if people really don't like what someone else is doing or they really don't like that someone else is doing what they feel forced to be doing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot in that. I mean, I think the we are we are taught so so repeatedly to self-police and to think about, you know, to always be thinking about presenting ourselves in a specific way so that we are taken seriously or respected or uh, are not embarrassing ourselves in a way that men really are not taught. I mean, the, the, the level of 
of self-possession that women are expected to have from a very early age yes. is, is just so much higher. And so when you see someone else, at least for me, something that I fight against is I see someone breaking out of that mold and my first instinct is, oh no, mm. yeah. you're breaking the rules. Oh no. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I think that if, if that's not examined, it can turn into like, then I'm going to shame that person. Right. Because it's easy. It, I think it, it does come in part from your own fear that uh, of seeing this thing that you've been told not to do played out, especially when that person seems to be happy doing it. Right. Oh, that, yeah, that's, that's even the worse. Part that bothers yes. people right yeah. there. Yeah. You just hit that one on the head. How dare they? They look right. like they like that. Right. right. And it's jealousy, right? It's like, I have been following the rules and not having that fun. How dare she have that fun? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So we're going to get a little, little off topic for the book for a moment, but maybe <laughs> not. So we ask all our authors to share their astrological sign. And for the first time, we actually don't feel uncomfortable about it after reading your book. Not that <laughs> Buddhism or levitation is the same thing as astrology, just that you wouldn't think we were crazy for embracing something that's relatively eccentric in the Western world. Although I should say on, on all of our authors have been surprisingly open to this topic, but we find in regular life that we tend to get shamed for bringing up astrology. So we're hoping. <laughs> but by the way, let's remember the context of our regular lives is generally around lawyers. So yeah. lawyers are not receptive writers are. Yes. yes. They're, they're more receptive to some mysticism. So so would you mind sharing your sign and if you relate to it? Listen, uh, every month I write a column on LitHub uh, that recommends books based on everyone's astrological sign. Yes. So, oh, yes. I'm going to follow that then. Okay, great. So you, you're with us here. So I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, technically I don't believe in anything, but I still right. read everything. Uh, I'm a Libra. Okay. The scales of justice. Which I sometimes relate to and sometimes don't. Which in is very sense, Libra. Yes. Well, hmm, very balanced. <laughs> Yeah, I, I relate to it in the sense of being very charmed by aesthetic pleasures. One of my qualities as a writer is that I'm obsessed with the sentence and I want the beautiful sentence mm -hmm. and I want the perfect sentence. And that is where my love and interest lies much more than plot. Mm -hmm. But I'm not, but I am a writer, so I'm not as much of a social butterfly as most Libras are supposed to be. <laughs> I have I have Libra in my chart, but I always have to ask Corinne to remind me because it's rising. rising, it's my Libra. rising. I'm a yes. rising Libra. Okay, I'm a Leo, and Corinne's an Aries, so we are fire signs. But I knew I had Libra, and I always have to ask Corinne. Yes, <laughs> my rising sign. So I relate to a lot of Libra attributes as well. That's the right. rising sign is is what you are inside, as opposed to what you present to the world, right? I thought, I think it's the other way. The moon sign is what you are inside. Oh, okay. The rising sign is the way you present. Right. Okay. To the world. So I um, present as a Libra. Oh, yes. Which the lawyer, she's, yes. yes. Lawyers. And the social butterfly and the aesthetics, everything you just said. I'm with you. <laughs> it's very, yes. <laughs> I'm Capricorn moon. So internally I'm so like, which is very grounded, very disciplined. And Aries is very fiery, very chaotic. So my internal and external struggle is crazy. <laughs> the thing that makes me skeptical of all of this is that the nicest person I know is a triple Scorpio. Ooh, that does shock me. Right? Well, there there are exceptions. Is is this person a cusp person or what? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Triple, like, that's not really right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. Help. Yeah. Um, wow. I do qualify everything with birth order. Yeah. If you have siblings and and definitely I think nurture is a real thing. You can mm. you're born a certain way, but the way the environment you're grown up in, what you're invited to explore, but the nicest person you know being a Scorpio, I think Still that's pretty that's surprising. a fair yeah. That's a fair <laughs> Well, it just makes me wonder, I mean, what is he hiding? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, See, I like that. They are very private. How well <laughs> do you know this person? <laughs> Pretty yeah. well. Okay. But, but 
certainly there's room for right. things to be hidden. I mean, is anything really knowable as you would probably be the first no, to point I would, out? I would right. Say no. Exactly. Right. <laughs> okay. So I want to go back to the book a little bit. And you can tell me if you think this is spoilery. So we can direct, I'm still going to ask the question, but we can direct people to kind of skip over this. But I honestly could not have you on the podcast and not ask you about the scene with Olivia and her mother in the closet. <sighs> so <laughs> she pushes her, she locks her in, she contemplates lighting the house on fire. She destroys her mother's art. And then when she lets her mother out, her mom says, why do you want to hurt me? But Olivia thinks, how can I possibly hurt you when you have all the power? Those pages will stay with me for a long time. But there are two things, or there's many things going on. But Kate and I talk often about the neglected topic of mommy issues and what issues, you know, everyone talks about daddy issues, but mommy issues are real. Mm -hmm. um, but also it reminds me of a scene in Fleabag where her father says to her, I don't know why daughters think their fathers screw them up because daughters screw up their fathers. And the same thing, it goes back and forth, I guess, is the point. Also something we don't really talk about, the way children can affect parents. So I don't, tell us about writing this scene and what you wanted to explore, whether it was the issues of the dynamic, if it was the issue of the mother being the way she is, the daughter. Also, this is something I can relate to. My, I relate to my dad, like without even, we're just very similar. We don't even have to have a conversation and I understand him. My mom and I could not be any more different. So there was a lot of strife there. But, but again, tell me about the scene and what, and what you were wanting to explore there. Yeah. Um, again, it's a, a lot. big question. Yeah, it's a big question. But you, this book brings big questions. It really does. I mean, listen, I'm I'm a seeker too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I think Olivia in this moment. I mean, this has been a eternal question with my mom. It, I mean, our relationship is not like right. the relationship with Olivia and her mom, but and neither is mine, mom. Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't mean that. No, <laughs> but I have thought about this idea of when you're a kid, your parent is the absolute authority, mm -hmm. and there seems to be you have this this false idea that they're in charge and you're the kid, and so nothing you can really do affects them. It's like they're God, basically. Yeah. And then as you get older, at least for me, I started to both realize the fact that my actions had an effect on my mom, particularly my mom. Mm -hmm. I'm an only child also. But, but I also fought against that idea that I could affect her right. because I didn't really want her. I didn't really want to bring her down to earth that way. Mm -hmm. I wanted... Her to still be my like magical yeah. mother, yeah. you know, even as I was like, no, you're wrong. Yeah, um, of course. It's, it's a much bigger, deeper version of like, you know, when you're 15 and you see your teacher at the supermarket. Yes. yes. You're like, you need, Ooh, you're a, yeah. you need toilet paper. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't think you were a person. Right. That's weird. <laughs> Thought you lived at school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I she is, I mean, she's having this conflict in the moment because she doesn't want to be like her mother. She wants to be like her father, but she realizes she's realizing in this moment that she is like her mother. And she says mm -hmm. afterwards, like, this is something she would have done, but she would have gone a step further. Right. Yeah. She would, she would have really like played it out. And I'm I'm like her, but I'm weaker, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a, you know, anyone, you, the first people that you can triangulate yourself with are your parents. And you think yeah. about who you are in relation to them first. And that can be pretty challenging. But I think Olivia, a part of her journey in this book is, triangulating herself and realizing that she doesn't have to align exactly with either one of her parents, that one isn't good and one isn't bad. Right. And do you think that's the moment? I mean, it is the moment in the book, but the moment yeah. where she realizes she can go and 
go to the center and she can go looking for her dad. Yeah. 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 Because it's, it's both, she's both separating herself from her mother in this very aggressive way. Mm -hmm. She's locking her in the closet overnight. I mean, imagine. Yeah. Um, I did. I was like, (laughs) what would have happened? Imagine. But like, yeah, but what would have happened? Like what, I, I realized way too late, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Like, what can you, what can happen? Um, but she is both, she's both sort of like planting her flag in the, we are separate, but mm-hmm. she's also kind of planting her flag in the, but I'm like you, I'm this yeah. passionate, aggressive yeah. creature as opposed to my cool removed father. So mm-hmm. it's both, I mean, yes. it's just both at once. Yes. Yes. Which yeah. I love. <laughs> So we're going to switch gears a little. I just wanted to um, talk to you about something you wrote um, of Mary Gateskill's uh, short story collection, Bad Behavior. You wrote, I feel that now is the moment where I should transition to talking about this book in the context of our current political movement and Me Too. But this book transcends our current political moment. This book is not really interested in Me Too. The fact that women are harassed, that they are seen as sexual objects, that they are abused, this is all taken for granted in this book. This book is not worried about that. It is invested in the complex selfhoods of the woman and some of the men in question. Yeah, I mean, Gateskill is so magical, I think. I mean, but yes, she's she was operating under a completely different set of cultural understandings and i think she transcends them in in this way but i I wrote that at a time when it felt like every novel that was by women was getting called a me too novel and i thought that even though it's an extremely important thing for women and for men and for everyone that i was afraid there's a sense of 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 it narrows the subject that yeah. people say it's just this. And I want to say things are more. Yeah. And it narrows womanhood. It narrows our agency. I, mm-hmm. I agree. And I, I did, I do feel like even still, maybe it's again with my dark Vanessa or, and maybe it's come up a little with normal people, the show being made, but mm-hmm. I feel like there is that idea that, all of these have to be me too discussions and just like, this is what it's like to be a woman and a girl. And you know, yeah. It's come to be a stand in, not for what it originally was, which was being able to speak out. And now it's just like, if you're a woman who has any sort of problem, like me too. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Just slap the label on it. Right. It just means lady stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Periods, sexual harassment. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, I mean, it is all women's fiction. You know, know. you didn't didn't write a book. You didn't write fiction. You wrote women's fiction. Women's fiction. Do you guys remember when there was the two categories on Amazon, American authors and female American authors? No. Oh, no. No. Oh, no. Like, no. Yeah. Ew. They've changed that, I hope. Yeah, somebody, I mean, I, don't, I only am aware of it because someone found out was like, we're changing this, ah, which good. <laughs> Thank God. So the first person narrator has no name in the book until page 25, which we thought was very interesting and atypically late maybe to, to in a novel. So, um And it's also unusual the way her name first comes out. Her father is asking her, where is the self? And he says, can you point to it? No, not your sternum, not your eye, your Olivia. Yeah. And then as the story progresses towards its end, there are more references to her name and specifically a very poignant moment, which I'm not going to linger on. But Serena asks, what do you think, Olivia? How conscious, I mean, that's just so poignant and important if you understand what's going on. How conscious of you, how were you when you were writing that? Did you layer, did this come in revision or just something that naturally happened or how did that come about for you? And was it intentional? Well, the making you wait to find out what her name is was intentional. In fact, I got, there was some, some round of edits where uh, that was questioned and I was like, no, no. You gotta wait. 
because, well, first of all, because you don't really think of your own name that much when you are thinking or narrating your own story. It's not that, at least I don't, I don't use my own name very much. Right. Right. Except, don't except in the third person. <laughs> right. No. Emily will now get her teeth. <laughs> except for the fact that everybody in the world is named Emily. So um, I do use it <laughs> for other people, but um, I wanted to have it be natural. I didn't, I, I feel like I notice when it's unnaturally mm-hmm. put into novels and I just wanted to wait until there was a time until it was not, and it was naturally introduced. And as you say, in revision, I did not think about this at all while I was drafting or thinking about the book. But in revision, I mean, this is a book about her coming into herself. It's a coming of age story. And the more connections she builds with other people, bad or good, the more she is both, I mean, the more she is acknowledged and the more she is asserting her selfhood. Mm. And so in that moment, you know, that is a moment about who are you? Are you one of the group? Are you you? Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I don't think that I, I didn't consciously layer her name in, but I did become much more focused on her self-actualization. Yeah. So that sort of a, the way a you casualty. You, yeah. Yeah. Like to keep bringing her selfhood to the fore. Yeah. That's amazing. What complicated women inspire you? And it can be either from real life or fiction. And I was like, she's going to say Kat Stratford because I read your, that was so good. Your 10 things I hate about you, what you learned from that. That was good. (laughs) Love. Yeah. I was going to say Kat Stratford. (laughs) I love her. Oh, Oh. she really changed my life. (laughs) So good. You can say that. You can tell us about that. Yeah. So good. 100% Cat Stratford changed my life. I was a girl who liked books, but it wasn't until I saw 10 Things I Hate About You and I saw Cat Stratford, the coolest girl (laughs) that I had ever seen. Yes. Totally not interested in playing the game. And I just watched this movie right at the correct time to be worried about this. And then there's that uh, amazing pandan shot of her reading the bell jar. And I was like, ah, oh, I got to get the bell jar. What is this the bell jar? And I think that was the moment when I became serious about literature where, I mean, my parents are readers. I probably would have been serious about literature anyway, but the bell jar, I mean, there's a certain kind of girl for whom the bell jar is like a mind blowing experience. And I am such a girl. And I ju- it just changed the way that I saw everything. And it made me want to create that kind of transformative change for other people. Also, I totally started wearing like cool, like funky <laughs> clothes, and I like went to the punk shows, and I started being mean. Yeah. <laughs> like in the eighth grade, I was like, "Oh, like I'm really tough and cool," yeah. and, mean. and that didn't last that long. <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, she is awesome. Yeah. I love her so much. Also, um, another another character from literature, I would say, is Princess Cimmerine. Do you guys know her? Mm. From the uh, Patricia C. Reed's Dealing with Dragons books. I know oh, that oh. all princesses are, like, badasses now, but when I was a kid, they weren't. Yeah. And when these are middle grade novels um the yeah the first one is called dealing with dragons and it just opens by saying talking about the the kingdom of linderwall and everything was beautiful and happy and everybody was perfect and blah 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 and simmerine hated it and it's about a princess who hates being hates having to learn how to sit at a table how to do crochet and the best place is to scream during ogre attacks and she runs off to become a dragon's princess where she lives with this dragon named Kazool. <laughs> and she organizes Kazool's Latin library. Kazool's also a woman. She's a woman who she's a woman who 
uh, spoiler alert, becomes king of the dragons because queen is like a lame job and king oh. is the only job that Gazul wants. This is amazing. <laughs> it's it's like it's so good. And so Cimmerine is making Cher- Cherry's Jubilee and organizing the Latin library and learning spells. And all these knights and princes come by to rescue her. And she's like asking them to politely. She's like, please just I'm go good. away. I don't want to be rescued. And then she goes off on her own adventures. And it's, for me, was all, another like transformative childhood yeah. moment. I was like, I can, I'll just, I'll just like learn Latin and, yeah. and go on my own adventures. I love that. It's amazing. It's really fun. I love how aware you were then of those moments. Like this is changing my life right now. Um, I, I don't know that everyone has that kind of insight into the, to those moments. Well, I just, you know, I was sort of raised on my dad reading me 70s science fiction and all of his favorite books from when he was a child. So for dealing with dragons in particular, I could just see the difference. I mean, mm, I love right. all the books that my dad, you know, uh, the Terran Wanderer books and all the books that my dad read to me, but they're all boy books because right. they were my dad's favorite books when he was right. a child. Mm. And it, it just in that, in that instance, like the difference was so stark that I remember being like, mm-hmm. Yeah. This yeah. is what I've been looking for. Yes, this is what oh, I've been yeah. looking for. I also love that this princess, you know, it's it sometimes it's gone back and forth between princesses need to be rescued and then no you know princess can rescue herself i love that she's like no i'm good i don't need to be rescued <laughs> this is yeah this is my life i'm good and there and you know what there are other princesses around that are that have been kidnapped by dragons and they do want to be rescued including and she becomes best friend with this girl who really would like to be rescued and so you sort of get both like the the other girl she wants to find her prince and Simran's like, that's nice. Like, I don't want that, but yeah. that's fine for you. You can have that. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's so funny because sometimes we think we take on something that's from around us, but a lot of times we take in what affirms us, right? Like, it sounds like you were mm-hmm. looking for things that are equal parts, I don't know, optimistic or capable, but also skeptical. And it sounds like that's what you were looking for. That's what you needed. And and you were able to find that as opposed to that changing you into that. Yeah. yeah. No, of course, you, you experience so many things and you only hold on to the things that make sense for like, you. I mean, yeah. 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 I'm looking for Buffy the Vampire Slayer in all things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There that's you go. Not, that's, that's great. <laughs> I'm looking for Fleabag in all things. So yeah. There you go. Well, Emily, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. This was so much fun. Yeah. And for having me. And the lightness is really a transformative experience. It will draw you in with this lure of the camp for bad girls, but it's a deep book that, that will get to your core. And in even if you're not one way, it will get to you in other ways. I loved it. So thank you. Mm. It's great. Thank yeah. you so much. That's very generous and nice. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore Women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated. Complicated.